0: Hello friends, thanks for joining us again as we continue to travel through the book of Romans. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've certainly enjoyed the study. It's been a blessing to me and I look forward to the days to come as we continue to carry on through the book. Uh, we'll uncover all and unpack all of the verses of the Romans Road as we go. We don't cover any of those today. Uh, chapter four is our text today, all of chapter 4 verses 1 through 25. It, I think for me this chapter is a summation or almost a restating of what Paul covers in the second part of chapter 3. So he, he lays out the doctrine, if you will, in chapter 3 verses 21 through 31. Chapter 4 is the Old Testament text to look back on and correlate with what he taught as doctrine in the second part of chapter three. Paul does that on a a fairly regular basis and it's a great method of Bible study too by the way. We should always check scripture with scripture. The Bible is its own best commentary and that's what Paul is doing. He's going to use the examples of Abraham and David And we're going to look at them as it applies to justification, faith, apart from the law, and how they viewed this, the things that they said about it, and Paul shares those things. We're going to go back and we're going to reference uh, some Old Testament passages in Genesis and also in the book of Psalms, as you might imagine, since we mentioned Abraham and David. So that's where we're headed you know, heaven requires its inhabitants to be righteous. To be righteous in the, uh, and to be right with a perfect God, a perfect God has a standard of perfection, obviously. Therefore, the imperfect must rise to the standard of imperfection. I'm sorry, let me restate that because I messed it up. Therefore, the imperfect must rise to a standard of perfection. Uh, we as being imperfect, we, if we want to obtain heaven, if we want to obtain fellowship with God, we have to rise to a standard of perfection. So we must ask ourselves, how does one who has already lived in imperfection become perfectly righteous? That's the target. That's the goal. And, and here's the thing, you know, I, I like to go to the rifle range on an occasion, and the pistol range, and I'm what am I trying to hit? I'm trying to hit the bullseye. And if I get uh, if I get that accomplished or, or get close to it, I get excited, and, and I'll move the target further away. And uh, once again, I'm trying to hit the bullseye. I may have to adjust the sight. I may have to clean the weapon. I may I may have to evaluate which uh, ammunition is working better for my weapon. Uh, but here's the thing. I don't know that I've ever hit dead center, perfect bullseye. If I get really close, if I get in that red dot of the bullseye, I'm excited. I'm happy. To me, that's a win. I count it. But the same is not true here. To me, God's standard of righteousness, of perfection, of incorruption is, it it must be perfect because why because he's a perfect god it's a perfect standard folks how do we who have lived in imperfection rise to this standard well Romans chapter 4 will begin to in Romans chapter 4 we will begin to explore the answer to this conundrum how do we ever do it And of course, if you're a Bible student, you know how. You're ahead of me. So you bear with me and you just rejoice in these things that we're going to rediscover, that we're going to rejoice. We're going to be thankful that God made a way because without the way, without uh, this uh, opportunity, none would be justified. No, not one. Uh, No one would be able to because of one's past because of one's present state and obviously because of one future so chapter four is going to open up with uh, abraham this thought of abraham now as i mentioned before there are 25 verses and i'm not going to ask you to sit still while i try to read 25 verses to you so we'll do this in sections i do want to read the first eight verses and we'll make some comments there and spend uh Well, we'll see how much time, but we'll probably spend more time there than we do on the second section, which is verses 9 through 12. But let's begin. Romans chapter 4, I hope you have your Bible in front of you if you have that opportunity. If you're driving, please don't. (laughs) Just let me read to you and uh, we'll we'll go with that. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by the works of the flesh, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So, Powerful verses here that Paul opens up the uh, topic with and we're thankful for those. You can tell I'm struggling. I don't have good light here and I'm turning my light off my, on my phone where I was reading. <laughs> so uh, bear with me there. Abraham's faith, uh, not his works, brought him righteousness. That's what we see in verses one through four. Abraham's faith, not his works, brought him righteousness. Now, had Abraham's works one righteousness, he could have boasted, and that's the point that Paul's making. Where is boasting? It's excluded. It, it, it you know, it, it, he he comes right out and says, if if Abraham, and why does he choose Abraham? Well, we're going to talk about that. But rest just a moment on this thought: if Abraham's deeds. If his deeds had one righteousness, then Abraham could boast. But then Paul goes on to say, you know, even if he could boast, not before God. Because it's not enough. It can never be enough. Why? Because man is born in sin. Man, Man is imperfect from day one. He is conceived in sin, the Bible says. And so this state of corruption is with us from the very, very beginning. Um... So why does he choose Abraham as the example? Well, I believe it's because Abraham maybe as a greater demonstrated of works, demonstration of works than possibly any other character in scripture. But certainly it, the whole process begins with him. If you're not familiar with Old Testament studies, where did the nation of Israel come from? Have you ever considered that? Well, it begins with Abram who becomes Abraham. Abram is, is living in the land of the Chaldeans and, and God comes to him. Uh, call, by the way, that land is a land of many, many idols and different gods that were worshiped. There's no Bible. Nothing's been written for Abraham. Uh, maybe he's heard some stories, some legends, but nonetheless, God calls him to leave his land, uh, to pick up his family and to go to a land that God would show him as He's traveling. And how did Abraham do so? He did so in faith. Now, yes, but did did that require work? Absolutely. It's work day after day after day after year after year after year. And Abraham was faithful in the work. But how did he receive righteousness? By faith, Paul is going to point out and explain. So even in spite of the work, maybe is the way to say it. Uh, James said, you talk about your faith. Well, show me your works if you want me to believe that you have faith. I used to have a Bible professor at Bob Jones that that taught us that uh, faith that can move mountains is always attached to a back that's willing to pick up a shovel. and I think there's some great principle there. Uh, But nonetheless, the faith is not what justifies. It's not what brings us righteousness. And it wasn't in the day of Abraham either. So the scripture in Genesis 15 shows that Abraham's Abraham's faith was uh, what allowed God's righteousness to be applied. So if we turn back to Genesis chapter 15, we see that it is the story of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, folks, if you don't, if you know me at all, if you've been around me uh, very long at all, you understand that I love the study of the covenants. I enjoy it. Uh, I get so much out of it. And chapter 15 of Genesis is one of my favorites. And here, God comes to Abraham, and the chapter opens with this verse. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and exceedingly great reward. What an honor, folks, that God of heaven would speak to Abram in that way in fellowship with him. And and we see that Abram had fellowship because Abram doesn't just say, oh, wonderful. That's glorious. No, Abram comes back and he has a question. He has a problem with it, if you will. And it's not that he's disrespectful, rebellious, anything like that. He is seeking understanding. And he cries out to God. And he says, uh, Lord God, what will you give me seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abraham's saying, God you say this, I believe you, I want to believe you, give me something to hold on to. How can I be assured? Because what you're saying physically right now is impossible. I, I don't have a child, I can't pass anything on, I can't be a great nation. I can't be a father of many nations. I, I can't be a father of any nation, much less many because I don't even have a son. I'm getting older. Sarah's getting older. And so God didn't just come down and immediately deliver a child. What does he do? He, he says uh, to, He, and I won't go through the whole process because it's the rest of the chapter, but he basically tells Abram to get a covenant prepared. There was a ceremony involved. And he, he has Abram set this ceremony up. And folks, it's, it's so, so exciting to read the rest of the chapter because as the the uh, ceremony is ready to begin, Abraham essentially is not a part of it, yet he is because he can't handle it. Nobody can walk this covenant with God, He but someone comes and walks the covenant for him. I believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ in, in symbolic um, instruments. We won't get into all that, but nonetheless, uh, the scripture in Genesis 15 shows that Abraham's faith was what allowed God's righteousness to be applied. It wasn't all the work that Abram had done, and he, and he had worked, and he would continue to work, but God comes with this impossible promise and says, give me something to hold on to, and the covenant is established. How? not through Abram's hands, not through his works, not through his deeds, but yet through the covenant promise. And that's what the covenant was. And it was a lifelong promise of protection, of kinship, of fellowship between two parties and two families even, often. And there were different levels of... uh, Folks, again, I'm going to get carried away and it's going to become a covenant study. I don't intend that. We need to get back to Romans but uh, understand that Genesis 15 is the story of the Abrahamic covenant. And, and it demonstrates again that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness through, through his faith in what God promised. Even though he did not understand, he could not see it. He, and, and folks, it didn't happen overnight. It would be years after the covenant was established until the fulfillment. And it was fulfilled in a way that was miraculous and beyond human possibility, we'll even say. Yet God held true, and 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 so did Abraham. Through faith, he believed God, and it was accounted for righteousness. Well, then we deal with verses five through eight, back in Romans chapter four now, and he Paul references David this time, and he says, but to him does who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes in verses seven and eight of Romans chapter four, uh, some passages from Psalm chapter 32. So I turned back over to Psalm chapter 32 in preparation for this lesson. I read the chapter. It's a short chapter, as most Psalms are, uh, just 11 verses. And I, I, I assume the, the, the title in the, the Bible, which is not inspired, is, is the joy of forgiveness. And I, and I believe that this Psalm is written after, Psalm, after David's great sin with Bathsheba. And obviously, he goes through a time uh, that he describes in the, in, the, in the chapter of separation, of loneliness, uh, and then restoration. He begins Psalm 32 by, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. He just uncovers it right at the beginning, uh, whose sin is covered. Last time we talked about uh, propitiation, and there it is, whose sin is covered by the blood. Uh, as uh, with, That's the intent, that's what's being said here. He says, verse two, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, or in other words, apply. Well, it, we have it on the record, and the, the God would be justified to apply the punishment. And David said, if you escape that, you're blessed. You're blessed. So how do you do that? And to whom spirit there is no deceit. Well, David describes his own sin, his own process in sin, beginning in verse three. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groanings all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You ever been there? You ever felt the the calling of God, the longing, the the separation of fellow, the brokenness of fellowship? David did. He says, "My vitality was turned into the drought of summer." <laughs> yeah, we're in the midst of that right now, in this summer heat. And it just saps you and drains you. Uh, and that's what David's describing here. Is this, this burden on his soul, this this guilt, this iniquity. And he continues on verse after verse talking about this. Um. He gets to the end though, at the time of repentance. And he says, many sorrows shall be on the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy, shall surround him. David was a military man. He knew what it was to surround and to be surrounded. And he understood that meant victory. That meant encompassing. That meant overcoming. But what's overcoming here? Oh, not an enemy, but the mercy of the Lord surrounded him. He said, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright of heart. What a transition. Remember how it started. He said, said, when I kept silent. In other words, have you you been there? You knew your guilt. You knew that you needed to repent. You needed to be restored. You needed um, that fellowship to be brought back. Oh, he said, when I kept silent, things were not good. All those, that drought applied. But when he opened his mouth, when he repented, when he came and he asked and he sought forgiveness, he found it. He found what mercy, and not just a little, but mercy that surrounded him. Oh, if you're listening today and you've never done that, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, that's what you're missing. You are surrounded by sin. You're you're hopeless. You're in that drought. You're you. Something's missing. And if you'll cry out in faith and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on Calvary, he, folks, he died for our sins. Friend, he died for your sin. He, he shed his own precious blood to satisfy God's righteous standard on your behalf. If you'll put your faith in that, if you'll call out to him, the Bible says that you will be saved. Not a maybe so, not a hope so, but it says that you will be saved. That's what Abraham did. That's what David did. They were justified not by their works, not by their accomplishments, but rather by their belief, by their trust in the forgiving almighty God. And so David celebrated this same truth along with Abraham. And then we see in verses nine through 12, that Abraham was justified before the circumcision. Now, this probably means little or nothing to you in the, in the modern world, and I, and I don't mean that irreverently. It's interesting to study, but the, the covenant ceremony doesn't mean very much to us, if anything. Yeah, but to Abraham, a great deal, and to Paul, a great deal, and to those modern Jews at Paul's time, it meant a great deal. And he points out here for their benefit in these verses 9 through 12. And let's see, I've got, I don't think I'm even going to take time to read them. You go back and you read them for yourself. But he shows the process of, of Abraham's faith and his coming to God and how his justification was declared by God even before Abraham's circumcision, his mark as a Jew. So, and to the Jew, this was huge. This was monumental. This, this, this act of circumcision, which separated them, they believed. It, it, it was commanded by God, every Jewish male on the eighth day, to be circumcised. And that was a mark, and it was right to do so. But yet, Paul points out the very real truth that God was able to justify and did justify Abraham even before he carried the mark of circumcision. Why? Because faith, because Abraham, and we should say Abram really because this is before his name is changed. Abram put his faith in God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So then the promise, and this is the final part, portion, verses 13 through 25 the promise of God was granted through faith you say well we just said that yeah we did (laughs) Paul is he's rehashing he's recovering he's he's laying the icing on top of the cake for those Jewish believers who struggled so much with this and he uh he begins in verse 13. He says for the the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith. So again, Abraham could do nothing to accomplish this. He could do nothing to fulfill it, but through his belief, he obtained righteousness and through that righteousness the covenant was fulfilled. And God did fulfill the covenant. He he did meet the promise not in the way that Abraham expected, not in the time that Abraham expected at least, and, and, but yet nonetheless, God fulfilled and was true to his promise as he always, always is. So he goes on and says, for if those who are of the law are heirs of faith, is made, uh, are, are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. He's simply saying the law points out the guilt and the guilt brings the wrath of God. But if the law did not exist, in other words, if there was no standard, then there'd be nothing to transgress. there be nothing to be in violation of. But yet folks, there is a law. So there is transgression and there is wrath. He goes on in verse 16, therefore it is not uh, and therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. So the law brings wrath, but the, the, the faith brought grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also of those who are uh, of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, folks, admittedly, I get it. This gets confusing for the modern day believer. Again, why you need to study on your own, you need to read. He's simply laying a clear path for the Jewish uh, believer and unbeliever in his day. He's using logic. He's using history. He's using history that they're very familiar with. So again, Paul lays this clear and, and undeniable path, stating that Abraham had to be granted Uh, the promise through faith, not by his own works, which is what most of the Jewish people were guilty of relying upon. There was a misunderstanding, a disconnect, if you will, and Paul's clearing this up for them. Well, skipping ahead to verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So there you have it again. Not the timing that he or Sarah counted on. Uh, They don't have Isaac until uh, Abraham's almost a hundred. Sarah is well past the years of childbearing. So humanly, if, and if you want to call it the work of a human, the the physical work was impossible, and yet Abram Abraham does not waver. He 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 relies upon the covenant. Remember Genesis 15. Abraham said, "Give me a sign, Lord. Give me something to hang on to." And God did, and Abraham held on to that sign. How? In faith. He held on in faith and then verse 24 says, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So he died because of our sin. He was raised up to fulfill our justification through faith. The same as Abraham. Abraham needed that covenant to be fulfilled. He was, he was, his works could not do it. It was impossible, yet God fulfilled it through his belief, through, for, through Abraham's faith. We need justification. We need forgiveness. We need righteousness imputed, imputed to us. And our works, folks, they're like filthy rags. They fall so short. It is impossible that we could receive righteousness. Yet, how do we do it? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by faith. And that's the recap of chapter four. Neither circumcision or an adherence to the law could satisfy God's standard. Abraham believed God. David believed God. We must believe God. To the point of obedience, then his righteousness will be applied. Will will you be obedient to that? Will, Will you show your faith through obedience? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Call out to him today if you don't know him. If you're not saved, would you stop what you're doing today and just bow? I don't care what you're doing. It's not more important than this. If, you, if you're driving and you feel you need to pull, pull over, stop somewhere and bow your head right now, cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll hear you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Put your faith in him. Ask him to be your Lord and your Savior. Tell him that you believe to the best of your ability, that he died on the cross for your sin, that he rose again, and that you want him to be your Lord and your Savior. And friends, he'll do it. Will you do that today? Hey, if you do that, find a Bible-believing Christian and share that with them. Tell them what you've done. Let them know that you accepted Christ Jesus today. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.